Welcome to the Seed Together podcast. With your help joining our Patreon, we can keep making inspiring interviews possible. For as little as $3 a month, you can join our vision to help the Seed Together podcast continue. Sachi Cunningham is a documentary filmmaker and professor. Her award-winning stories have screened at festivals worldwide. We interview her about her process in one of her upcoming new films. My name is Sachi Cunningham, and I am a water surf photographer and documentary filmmaker and journalist. And I am an associate professor of journalism at San Francisco State University. I'm currently taking a year-long sabbatical um, because I just made tenure. So I hope to have a lot of water time this season and finish up uh, my documentary, She Change, about the world's best female big wave surfers fighting for pay equity in one of the most dangerous sports on earth. Thank you so much for Mm -hmm. being here today. Um, I'm so excited. And just to start off, can you share how you got started into photography and how that kind of shaped your life decisions early on? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think uh, the photography started the, those 120 cameras with 120 film, the little, you know, I, I had one of those cameras that I used to take photos with. And then on my 16th birthday, I got my first DSLR. And so I just shot kind of more for fun. I don't think I was ever thinking it would be a career path back then. But also at that time, as I was learning photography, I saw this documentary about Aaron Chang, the water photographer Aaron Chang. And I mean, this is like 30 years ago in um, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, which is where I grew up. So um, I needless to say, had no idea what a water photographer was or that they existed. But I had gone every summer, my dad and mom are both from LA. And every summer since I was born, we spent two weeks at um, Capistrano Beach in Dana Point, California, Southern California. I knew about the ocean (laughs) and I I have a family of body surfers. So I knew how to body surf. I always wanted to learn how to surf, but didn't really know how to do that. But I could get out into, you know, pretty big, big surf. I thought I I felt really confident in the water as a a swimmer and body, um, body surfer. And, you know, I had just developed this love of photography. So I went, when I saw this guy with his camera in waves, I was just like, what? Like, that's a thing? (laughs) You can do that? I think I just uh, stored it in my little file cabinet in my head and went to college. And, um, you know, up to then, I still just body surfing in the summers. And then when I graduated from college, I taught English in Japan. And so that was the first time that I could save money. So I bought my first Canon camera. It was a Canon EOS 1NRS. It was a film camera. And I found a guy, Kim Komodo, who is a really famous water photographer in Japan. His water housing guy made my housing. And I found a water photographer, surf photographer who I contacted and like just shadowed and apprenticed under for um, a summer. And, you know, just like that's, that's kind of how it started. Yeah. And just little by little after teaching English in Japan, I had saved enough money to travel around Asia for almost a year. I bought that camera like for that trip and started shooting first in the Southern islands of Japan. And then um, finally ending up in Indonesia, which is where I 
which is where I was like, this is it. Like, this is, I have to do this. <laughs> um, yeah. So that's the evolution. But I bought a camera before I knew how to shoot water photos. Like I invested like $5,000 in, you know, cause this was before the time of the GoPro. So I just saved up my money and just put down five grand to buy this gear without knowing how to use it or, you know, knowing how to use it. If I could use it, I just knew I kind of had to. <laughs> wow. That's commitment right there. <laughs> yeah. Well, and so I came back wanting to become a professional water photographer. Um, but that was 25 years ago. It was also before the gig economy and before you could, you know, work part-time jobs and kind of support a freelance lifestyle. I also have a pre-existing condition. And at that point, I could not get health insurance unless I was employed, period. That's the whole thing that we're fighting, you know, to protect um, with pre-existing conditions. As, as you, it's not a matter of like not being able to afford health insurance. You just are not able to get it unless you are employed. So I had to be employed. And lo and behold, there weren't that many jobs hiring new water photographers from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. So, um, <laughs> but... I had at that point made contacts in the film industry. Concurrent with the water photography, I also really wanted to be a filmmaker um, because I just also recognized that stories were a really powerful way to create change. I had done also a bunch of internships, uh, film in internships in college. And um, I don't know if I'd call it a big break, but kind of my big break <laughs> because it was just an assistant job that I got. But I, I was uh, Demi Moore's assistant before I went to Japan, I was working as Demi's assistant on a film in New York called The Juror. So I, I was always able to get film jobs at film companies. So I, I've always made a living as a filmmaker or in the film industry or, journal, you know, making moving pictures. Um, I'm not paying my bills with water photography. Never have. Don't think I ever will. Well, thank you for sharing your whole journey. It's nice to hear the whole background story. Was there a specific moment, because you mentioned Indonesia, where you were like, this is what I want to do. What was kind of happening there that inspired you? Um, it was just this really huge swell. But I overstayed my visa to stay for this huge swell. And this was at Lakey Peak, which is no secret anymore. There were just a ton of really great surfers, Australian surfers. And um, it was just this one wave in particular that I've really only had one other experience that's comparable since then. But I think, you know, because it was the first time, it's so memorable. Um, but I, you know, I got into a barrel with, I had, I was just kicking with like, is this um, combination of like terror and this guy coming at you and kicking as hard as you can and not knowing if you're going to get hit or if you're going to make it up and then, and then you make it up and, you know, you crack and then you're just like have this connection with the surf. You guys are like looking at each other and you're like in this little vortex for this moment in time. And, you know, it's magic. That was it. I was like, this is amazing. Yeah. I, it's a very unique and exhilarating feeling. And the picture was, I think, pretty good. And I like how would you describe that? Because I don't think I've ever heard anyone describe water photography like that. It's like this moment where all these things are kind of coming together you know mm -hmm. it's like a relationship between all these different things absolutely yeah it's an orchestra or a dance and um you know there's these occasional moments of magic and beauty that's what keeps you coming back and have you had any kind of more difficult moments where 
you considered even not shooting water photography anymore? And how did you kind of overcome that? Mm, I've never had that problem. Really? You've never had that problem? <laughs> no. <laughs> well, that's good. <laughs> um, I'm trying to think if I've ever like not wanted to... Ser- well, I mean, to be perfectly honest, it's only now that I'm kind of like... Well, I think it's because I have... I learned how to shoot water photography before I knew how to surf. I knew how to body surf, but I did not know how to surf on a surfboard. And so um, little by little, you know, at this point I've been... So I didn't learn to surf until I was an adult, but I'm an old adult now. So I've been surfing at this point for 25 years and mostly at Ocean Beach. I've gotten better at surfing and I can go out on most any day and I love surfing and I love surfing in big waves as well as swimming in them. I think that's more the conflict at this point is whether I shoot or surf because it's so fun. Surfing's so fun. So so is shooting, but they're different. They're different. And also kind of going back to the latest film that you're working on, She Change, mm-hmm. what have you learned about yourself through the process of making that film? And what have you learned kind of more about big wave women surfing that you kind of weren't thinking about prior to working on the film? I have learned that I'm incredibly passionate about um, big wave surfing, but I knew that beforehand because I was covering big wave surfing before there was um, a significant number of women surfing big waves. I was covering big wave surfing when I was working at the LA Times in 2008 and had shot Mavericks when I lived in San Francisco starting in 2000. So I've always loved big waves. So I, I guess what I've learned about myself is that my passion for big wave surfing is not bad or like a passion of the moment. I've been passionate about big wave surfing for over 20 years. And I'm, I think I'm, I guess, resilient. The documentary has definitely challenged me in that respect because in self-funding for the most part, I did not want to do that because I'm currently finishing a film about a dancer with a hip disability. He dances on crutches and does a hybrid of break dancing and skateboarding. And it's um, a portrait of him, this artist finding his voice because of that project, I was like, I'm never going to film. I'm never going to do a documentary unless I have funding beforehand. And that's what I kept saying year after year after year as because the story was happening. You know, I couldn't just wait until funding came along. Like the story was happening and I had access. I guess I've learned that I am uh, determined, but on a bad day, I would tell you the opposite. Next was part was what have I learned about female big wave surfers? Well, it's actually, I think, a parallel story. And I get a lot of inspiration from their journey and their, you know, quest to get equal pay in the sport and the number of times that they've been, you know, beat down and rejected and um, told it's impossible and we can't do this and no, no, no. You know, they just keep pushing and kept at it and you know we're unwavering in their fight for that so you know I kind of on this parallel quest um, in the film industry which is still predominantly male it is harder to get funding for female-centered stories uh, that are directed by women I guess I've learned that a lot of what they have done in the course of this film and, and you know what their story has taught me and what I hope their story will 
teach the audiences or share with the audiences and just how to keep going, just how to keep, you know, if you want something, ask for it and keep at it until you get it and be unapologetic about that. You know, you deserve it. Thank you for sharing that. And when you're in the process of working on your films, do you have any kind of values or ethics that you kind of align with just with the process of working on? I'm just interested in your process just like as a filmmaker and journalist. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think my process for documentaries of this kind, these multi-year projects, is completely different than my process for news videos. And of course, for news videos, if I'm shooting for someone like the LA Times, they have their own um, guidelines, ethics guidelines. So I'm very much working within those parameters. And I would say for the most part, for short documentaries, I'm using the ethical guidelines of, of journalism and visual journalism and documentary filmmaking. I think the one thing that is a plus and a minus of how I've approached these longer documentaries is that when you hang out with people over such a long period of time, it's hard not to become friends with them. Pure documentarians would say that you should always keep that separate. I just don't know how you do that and still remain a human. (laughs) So I 100% see the value in trying to keep that separate. I don't know that I would uh, recommend my (laughs) process to everyone. But, you know, documentary filmmaking is just such a... Documentary filmmaking is, is a lot of times very thankless work. It's hard work. You're not getting paid. It, in fact, I pay to do my work as a documentary filmmaker. Like I am paying for my... bought my camera. I'm paying to fly to these places. As with journalism, but definitely with the documentary film, it's, it's more about kind of a journey that I'm taking with the subjects and um, an intimacy that I think I bring to that journey. And in the case of this film, I have decided to, you know, not be an invisible camera, you know, on the fly on the wall point of view in this one, mostly because I'm organically part of the film. Um, I also think it's valuable as a storytelling tool to be able to use narration and first person perspective. So I've never done that in a film. That's something that, you know, has always been drilled into me to not do in journalism pieces. It's a new place to be. So you'll just have to ask me when this film comes out, how I feel about that. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) But so far, so good. I think it takes a little bit of the pressure ethically off of me, not just like artificially inserting myself into this one. I I wouldn't do it unless it was organic to what was actually happening. You know, with this one, there's like some lines being crossed, but I'm definitely also considering, you know, I went to a graduate school for journalism at UC Berkeley. I teach journalism. You know, I have ethics, journalism, journalism and documentary ethics drilled into my brains. I'm pretty good. I'm pretty, I'm an A student. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I was just curious if you had any like personal ethics or, or kind of ways of going about. Well, yeah. I mean, that's the, always the, question is like you you don't want to be the story right and you don't Mm want to direct the story make things happen Mm -hmm. you know that's where I have semi crossed some lines is that I'm also advocating on the side you know behind the scenes I've I've been advocating in my own way for equal pay I haven't entirely been silent but actually you know the main thing the main ethical thing that I 
uh, where I drew the line is that I actually very much wanted to be on the Committee for Equity in Women Surfing, this group of the four surfers that, you know, banded together and um, Sabrina Brennan, the Harbor Commissioner that organized them and Karen Tynan, the lawyer that worked for them. So they formed this coalition and it was in kind of through the power of numbers and that power of collective voice that they were able to make equal pay happen. I, of course, print on principle and everything in my body wanted to join as like an activist, but I'm not supposed to be an activist. (laughs) I mean, or like, you know, I guess not like a flag waving one. I am not supposed to be part of the story. And I just felt that if I had jumped in in that way, kind of the documentary would have been over. I would have been just stepping into that role, I think. You know, that was the big ethical decision that I made is to not be part of that group and to instead tell the story of that group. That makes sense. But I don't know if that's the right decision. (laughs) Yeah. I think that sometimes there's more than one good decision. Yeah, that's true. I mean, but is that the kind of thing that you're talking about is just like how involved you get with the community you're working? You repeat over and over that and that you love big waves and Mm -hmm. you shoot a lot of big waves as well. And so how have you developed courage in shooting like a variety of waves and different surf breaks and kind of what advice do you have for people that maybe are trying to get into shooting bigger waves? Yeah, it's just all about experience and exposure. You just have to shoot, 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 get out there, get out there, get out there. I still get scared. I went out today on this opening day of um, Big Swell here in San Francisco and I felt my heart, you know, thumping as I was getting my wetsuit on and I had to do a lot of deep breathing before I went out to kind of calm my nerves. And even when I was out there, there were a few moments that I was like, "Hmm, I don't know if I'm ready for this. I need to get in better shape. But, you know, that's kind of part of the draw is challenging yourself and overcoming those fears. As far as advice to someone trying to do it, it's just little by little. It's stories of these people who like have surfed for a year and are taking off at Mavericks. Um, That's certainly possible, I guess, but I certainly wouldn't wouldn't advise that. (laughs) It's been such a gradual education in learning how the currents of the ocean work and how weather patterns work and how water safety, how to save someone's life and how to hold your breath. And, you know, there's so many layers to swimming and surfing big waves. That and, and that's also part of the jaw. It's just the challenge and the constant learning that goes on. In terms of, you asked about different breaks, and I think that also just is experience. Like Ocean Beach, where I'm usually swimming and surfing is a sand bottom beach break. So when I go to Hawaii at Pipeline, that's like a totally different experience. So in that case, I think as much as you can talk to locals, you know, local knowledge is also key. Anytime I go to a new place, I'm talking to as many people as I can about what it's like out there, what I should be looking out for, you know, all of that stuff. So I can, again, do that learning, but kind of catch up a little bit more. That makes sense. Locals always know everything. <laughs> mm-hmm. If they're willing to tell you. <laughs> Gotta be nice. <laughs> and then 
kind of moving into maybe one of the last questions. How has shooting photography played a role for you in your mental health? I don't know if shooting photography specifically has played a role in my mental health. I think it's more about just being in the ocean all the time has definitely contributed to my mental health and happiness. There's all sorts of analogies in surfing to life. And I think that those analogies, you know, work with some of your mental health issues. So when you're like depressed and dark and, you know, the ocean has those dark moments and then it's sunny and recognizing the constant change and extreme change that happens in the ocean and understanding, you know, that this too shall pass. Like it's gigantic out in front of my house right now. It was like two feet yesterday, literally. And it's going to get to like 20 feet today. Being fine with that, you know, being at peace, not only being at peace with that, just like, yeah, being one with that, and that change, that constant change. Um, I think that's something that has contributed. You know, there's all sorts of research. Jay Nichols is a writer who wrote this book called Blue Mind. Um, I've been doing these Blue Mind posts. It was supposed to be 100 consecutive days, but I'm just doing it my way and just doing 100 <laughs> when I can. Anyhow, Jay's book, Blue Mind, is a collection of all of the science behind why being in the ocean is good for your mental health and happiness. Uh, one little anecdote from the book that I love is uh, in Japan, in a subway, this one subway station, the, they, there was the most suicides, people you know, jumping off the track and um, killing themselves. And all they did was change the lights in that station from red to blue and there were no more suicides. So there's just something primal in humans that um, feels at peace in the ocean, you know, very womb-like. And as far as your like mental health, I think it gets you out of your head, right? It's this space where you have to be completely present in the moment in order to su survive in some case. Um, you're not listening to the noise of whatever the day has brought or the anxieties or, you know, all of that. All that storm in your head, it disappears for me when I go in the water. I think it disappears for most people when they surf or go in the ocean, whether it's swimming or um, surfing. That is what keeps coming back every day. I mean, it is, my, it is absolutely a form of therapy for me. It is one of my medications. I would not be as mentally healthy as I am were it not for my daily doses of vitamin C. Yeah, thank you so much. That was really beautiful. Want to learn more about the stories of surfers globally, events, and be a part of our community? You can find out more on seetogether.com or our Instagram, c.together.mag. Hope to see you next time. Special thanks to Caroline Bauk for music and sound design. And Maya Fiedelholtz for editing.